Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter number 5. Uh, two weeks ago, we covered the very first verse, and I, I will briefly, uh, briefly go over a little bit about that, not entirely. Uh, we took a whole uh, class time, a whole hour there, to figure out and determine what that sealed book was. We know that it is the title deed to the earth, and we'll, we'll explain that here in a minute. Uh, but, but here we're going to try to finish up this chapter. Uh, I, I doubt that's going to happen because you have two pages and I have four. Say amen. <laughs> now, I don't think we'll get to point number three or point number two uh, tonight, but if we do, if we do, y'all don't worry about it. I'll just keep going, and when y'all finish up what y'all got, I'll keep going, and you can listen, and then I'll give you the printed copy uh, next week, okay? So it's no big deal. It's no big deal because we're going to go slow, right? All right, all right. Everybody good? I say everybody good? At least lie to me. Everybody good? All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Revelation 5 in verse number 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, there neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials or bowls full of odors or uh, incense, uh, which are the prayers of saints." And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy. Say that with me. Thou art worthy worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In other words, you can't count them. Say amen. Amen. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. That kind of makes you think about, Let all that hath breath praise the Lord. Lord. And the four be said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time of study. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you have given me to share. Lord, I have the stuff. I have the information. I have the scriptures. And I have, I have the word. But I need the unction. I, I need you to touch me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And fill me with your, your power and your anointing. And, and Lord, your presence in this place. Lord, as they worship you in this chapter, help us to worship you tonight. Help us to see you in your glory. Help us to see you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you'll open our eyes to a greater understanding of who you are. I pray that your perfect will be done. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't, and don't let me forget anything I should. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's start in verse number one. Take my word... Take my word for this. This is the title deed to the earth. We have an unsealed scroll. Verse number one. You say, well, explain that. I did two weeks ago. Go watch it. Say amen. I, I've been, I, I got kind of, uh, 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 I got kind of in trouble because I've been taking each, each lesson and trying to explain a lot from the week before and taking up all the time for the week present. 
So we're not going to do that no more. You're going to have to go back and check it out. Amen. But we spent the whole time in that, that verse number one about what that book is. And that book is so important. It is the title deed to the earth. It is, it is what is being reclaimed. And so as, as we look at last week's conclusion, uh, in verse number one, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Well, what do we find out last week? The earth and the atmosphere around it have been in the hands of an invader. The cruel invader is Satan. He took it from Adam, whom God had given dominion over it, Genesis 1, 26 and 28, so that today the earth is in Satan's power. If you'll remember, when the devil offered to give the earth to Christ, if he would bow down and worship him, the Lord did not repudiate his claim, Matthew 4, 8 and 9. Three times our Lord called Satan the prince of this world. Paul calls Satan the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. John wrote that the whole world lieth in wickedness or with the wicked one. 1 John five nineteen, uh, we see in this verse, the scroll that John saw is the title deed to the earth. It was once committed to man to rule for God. If you remember when he, when he created everything, he created and spoke it into existence and said it was good. He formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. And he put him in the garden and said, take dominion over this earth. Are y'all with me? That technically Adam was the king of the earth, but we know he fell. We know he lost dominion. We know he lost, I don't want to use the word ownership, but he lost control of the earth to Satan. Satan took what did not belong to him. That's why he's called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And so we see uh, that the, 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 this is fixing to come back. What is Jesus doing? What is, this, what is this vision that we see? What does it represent here in this chapter? The, the one who is qualified, there is somebody going to come and take the title back. Now, let's look at this. Number two. Number two. We're going to explain a little bit more of last week with verse number two. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Say it with me. Who is Who is worthy? Who is qualified? Who has the right to take the title deed to the earth? Now here's, here's what you need to understand. This whole chapter, chapter 5, is a chapter of redemption. Say that with me. It's a chapter of redemption. Last study that we had, we talked about redemption, the things that could be redeemed, how redemption takes place. And we said redemption is a process. Redemption is a process. What is the process? First, there has to be a qualified and able redeemer. So in verse 1, we have the unsealed scroll. Verse 2 and 3, we have the unsuccessful search. It says, no man was found worthy to open the book. All right? So here's to understand that, we got to look at the process of redemption. It must be a qualified and able redeemer. Say that with me. Must have a... Now, now that redeemer has to be kin, right? The kinsman redeemer. And Jesus became kin when he became human. They must pay a redemption price. And number three, here's the third part and the last part. We know Jesus was our kinsman redeemer. We know he paid the price at Calvary. But here's the, the last step that has to take place and has to happen. They must take possession of what's been redeemed. If you'll remember, we told the story... Of, of the prophet who sold or who bought the land from his cousin. He redeemed the land from his cousin, but it was not in his possession. Or y'all remember? He bought it, he paid for it, it was recorded, and he had the title, but he did not have possession of it. It was at that time in possession of the enemy. So one day, when the enemy was defeated, he could reclaim and take possession of what was rightfully his land. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. So what we have here, what we have here is a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has paid the redemption price. He, well, I, I want to just go ahead and tell you, he's able and he's qualified, but I'm really supposed to wait till the end after I show you why he's able and qualified, but I'm just going to tell you right now, he's able and qualified. 
And we're going to find out through this, this lesson why he's able, why he's qualified to take the book. Now, here's the thing. This is what's taking place. He is, he is a able and qualified redeemer. He, is, he has paid the redemption price. Now, what we are seeing is the process of him reclaiming and taking back what is in the present hands of the enemy, and that is the earth. Say amen. Boy, I feel good. Amen. Listen, that's, that's number two. Now, here's the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. <clears throat> he says, I heard a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to take the book? So here we have John. Here we have, we, here we have uh, all of the, the, the occupants of heaven that are standing around. We have the title deed in the hand of God the Father on the throne. And the question is, who's worthy? Who's qualified? Who can take the book? And listen, uh, this, is, this is way more than just taking back what the devil stole. This is finishing what has been started. This is finishing redemption. This is, this is finishing what God started a long time ago. Are y'all with me? And this is what happened. And no man, look what it says. Look what it says, verse number three. And no man in heaven, now watch this, no man in heaven nor in neither under the earth. Now think about that. Think about that. No man in heaven, no man in earth, no man under the earth. Now, now, what is under the earth? It's hell. It's hell. Hades, the temporary holding place for all of the condemned and the damned, the unrepentant sinners. So you have all the people in heaven, all the people on earth, and all the people in hell. Now, who does that represent? Do you realize every single human being that's ever been born from the time of Adam is either in heaven or on the earth or in hell? Now, so what does that tell us? The Bible says they search for a man out of all of humanity, out of every human being that's ever been born that's either in heaven, on the earth, or in hell. And no man was found worthy. There was silence to the question. Nobody could step forward. Adam, he was the first man, but he couldn't step forward. Solomon was the wisest man, but he couldn't step forward. David was the man that was closest to God's own heart, but he couldn't step forward. Isaiah couldn't step forward. Samuel couldn't step forward. Daniel couldn't step forward. None of the Old Testament prophets, they couldn't step forward. They were not qualified. They were not able. Paul could not step forward. Matthew could not step forward. Listen, John Baptist the man greatest born among women he could not step forward listen they were all unqualified Billy Graham would have been there he couldn't step forward all the great men of God in our age they were there but they still could not step forward why for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God there is no man that's qualified there is no man that's able there is no man worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. No man. No man. And it says John wept. He wept. Man, this is not just a sniffle. This is not just an ordinary cry. This is the same word that was used when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. It's an uncontrollable emotion. It is the same word that's used when Peter went out and wept bitterly. And if you'll study it, it means that he cried to the point of no tears. He is so upset and he is so broken. Now why? Man, why would he be so upset? Why? It's more than just a curiosity. W.A. Criswell Listen, this is how he explained John's weeping. John's tears represent the tears of all of God's people through all the centuries. Those tears of the Apostle John are the tears of Adam and Eve as they were driven out of the garden. As they bowed over the first grave of their son Abel. 
as they watered the dust of the ground with their tears over their silent, still form of their son. Those are the tears of the children of Israel in bondage as they cried unto God in their affliction and slavery. They are the tears of God's elect through the centuries as they cried unto heaven. They are the sobs and tears that have been wrung down through the heart and soul of God's people as they looked on their silent dead, as they stand beside the open graves, as they experience in the trials and sufferings of life heartaches and disappointments indescribable, such is the curse that sin has laid on God's beautiful creation. This is the damnation of the hand of him who holds it. That usurper, that interloper, that intruder, that alien, that stranger, that dragon, that serpent, that Satan, the devil. He said, I wept audibly for the failure to find a redeemer. This is what it meant. It meant that the earth and its curse is consigned forever to death. It is meant that the death and sin and damnation and hell would reign forever and ever and the sovereignty of God's earth should remain forever in the hands of Satan. It meant that people would continue to die. People would continue to be sick. Cancer would still reign. Heart disease would still reign. All of the things that we had hoped for and all the things that we have looked for, all the blessings and the hope of humanity, it's all of naught if nobody could finish the process of redemption. Can you see his tears? Can you understand what he's feeling? It won't be finished. Listen, the, 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 the final step of redemption will not take place. He's weeping and he's broken. But the Bible says, one of the elders said, hey, knock that off. I believe that might be my Aunt Jan saying, buck up, boy. Right? Weep not. Weep not. There's no reason to cry. There's no reason to be broken. There's no reason to be upset. Why? Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seal there. Somebody say amen. Listen, we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. Someone's qualified. It's going to be done. Somebody say amen. Now, here's the key before we go into this lesson, <clears throat> before we go into this study. The key is to understand we're looking, we're searching for who would be qualified and who would be able. Who would be qualified and who would be able? It says in verse number five, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song. Come on. They sung a saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Number one. Now we know, we're just going to, everybody knows who we're talking about. There should be no question. I mean, if you've been in church five minutes, you should understand that we're talking about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Every song is about Jesus. Every prayer should be about Jesus. Every hope is because of Jesus. Amen? We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Now here we find that He is qualified. He steps up and He takes the book and the book is representing fixing to unleash on this earth and take back what the devil stole. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But why is He qualified? We see some reasons given here in this particular chapter. He doesn't just say who it is, but he says why he's qualified. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing that we see, he's qualified, he's worthy because of his person. Because of his person. Because of who he is. Now who is he? The Bible says he's the lion 
of Judah. The lion of Judah. If you know your Old Testament history, you understand that Judah was one of the tribes of Israel. It's one of the sons of Jacob. Are y'all with me? And there is a prophecy in the Old Testament that says out of that tribe would come the Messiah. Out of that tribe would come the king of all kings, the king whose, whose uh, uh, kingdom would never end. Look what it says. The Bible says in Genesis 49, 8, Judah is being prophesied over. And, he, and, and, and Jacob is saying about his son, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter. Now, y'all remember when a king, when a king would sit on his throne, he would have a scepter. Are y'all with me? It's a little pole with, you know, the insignia, it, the scepter. Does everybody understand what that means right there? All right. All right. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, the kingship. The kings would always come. The Jewish kings would always come from the tribe of Judah. All right? They shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Hebrews 7.13 says, it, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Now why? Why is this important? Because you got to understand, the king, the Messiah, is going to come from Judah. It is prophesied that he's going to come from Judah. Lion, always represents. What is a lion? He's what of the jungle? Come on. King. King. He is the lion of Judah. So what does this teach us? It means he's from the correct tribe. He's from the correct tribe. Say that with me. He's from the... He's from the correct tribe. Now look at the second thing we see. He's not only the lion of Judah, but the Bible says he's the root of David. He's the root of David. It was prophesied that Israel's future king would be of the house of David. 2 Samuel 7, 12. And when the days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee. This is being spoken to David which shall proceed out of thy bowels, in other words, out of your lineage, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Isaiah 11, 1, 2, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, it is prophesied that the King, the Messiah, the one who would be qualified, the one who could take the title deed of the earth, would be from the family of David. He would be of the house of of David. Not only would he be of the tribe of Judah, but he would be of the house of David. He is not only talking about Jesus, he is not only David's greater son, but he is David's Lord. Matthew twenty two forty one. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He was born in the city of David. Luke 2, 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. The angel's testimony of who Jesus is. The angel said unto Mary, Luke 1, 32, He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Listen, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, it shows his authority. It shows his kingly royalty. It tells us that he's of the right tribe. And as the root of David, as the son, great, 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 great grandson of David, we know that he's not only from the right tribe, he's from the right family in the right tribe. Say amen. amen. 
He, he is qualified because he is of the tribe of Judah. He's qualified because he's of the lineage of David. Of that kingdom there shall be no end. Say amen. But that's not all. Do you know there's four titles given to Christ in the, in the Gospels? Four titles given to Christ in the gospel. Now see, we're searching for the one qualified, right? Trying to figure out who's qualified to take this, who's worthy to take this. He's called the son, the son of David. He's called the son of Abraham. He's called the son of man. And he's called the son of God. Say amen. Listen, as the son of David, as the son of David... He's entitled to David's throne. As the son of Abraham, he's entitled to all the land that's included in the promise to Abraham. I've got a picture I want to show you. I've got a picture I want to show you. Now, here's, here's what you see. I, I don't even have my pointer. I, I need my pointer, but I don't have it. How many of y'all can see the Dead Sea right there, the little circle in, in the bottom left-hand corner? Of, of, the, of the dotted area. Okay, right on that edge, or the, actually the, you see a line going up from the Dead Sea all the way to the, uh, the Sea of Galilee up there. That little bitty sliver is what Israel has right now. But God promised all the way to the Euphrates River. When Jesus comes back, all that you see is going to be Israel's because God promised it to Abraham. And as the son of Abraham, he's entitled and he has a right to that land. Are y'all with me? So as the son of David, he has a right to the throne of Israel because it would stay in the house and lineage of David. As the son of Abraham, he has a right to what's been promised to Abraham. So what is Abraham's land is Jesus' land. Say amen. But then he's the son of man. Now, more specifically, let's, 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 let's say mankind. He is, in other words, he is human. He is humanity. Now, what does that give him the right to? What does that entitle him to? To everything that was, that was Abraham's in the beginning and what Abraham was, not excuse me, excuse me, Adam. And what Adam was entitled to. Adam was the king of this earth. This was given to him. It was given to him to have dominion. And as a human, as the, the God-man, he has a right to the earth and this world. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Are, are you feeling it? Is it? Are you getting it? But then, as the Son of God, it says he's entitled and he is the heir of all things. Are y'all with me? So he is entitled. He is qualified. If we're looking at his heritage, if we're looking at his genealogy, if you go to Matthew and you go to Luke, you'll find both of them teach us and show us that even on his father's side, uh, humanly speaking, and on his mother's side, humanly speaking, they're both of the house of David. Are y'all with me? So he qualifies. His, blood, his human bloodline qualifies him to be who he says he is. And all God's people said. Now understand when I said the fathers, we know Joseph was not his real father. But he was still of the house of David. So I need to make sure you get that before you leave here. Amen. <clears throat> but then we see something else. <clears throat> we not only see he's the lion of Judah, which teaches us he's from the right tribe. He's the root of David, which teaches us he's from the right family. He has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a... Okay, that's all three of them. <laughs> stood a lamb. Stood a lamb. Not a lion, but a lamb. It means a lot. 
And this, there's something significant about this lamb. Three things. First, it was a lamb that had been slain. In other words, you could still see the wounds from the crucifixion. You could still see what happened with him on the cross. He was a living lamb that had been slain. The devil tried to take him out, but he's alive and well. Are y'all with me? He was the lamb. The lamb of God was taken away, the sins of the world. Now, he's described. Now, we know this is a person. We know this is a person. We know this is Christ. This is just, this is just picturesque typology to teach you a characteristic of who he was. Said he had some horns. How many? Seven horns. Now, always remember this. A horn, the horns represented strength and power. The horns represented strength and power. The horn is what an animal would use to defend itself. All right? It would be used in battle. It would be used to display its strength and power. Now, seven represents completeness or fullness. Remember? So, when we see seven horns, what do we see? When it comes to the Lamb, we see He is complete in the fullness of His strength and power. What does the Bible say? He says, I have all power. Omnipotent. That means all power. Are y'all with me? So we have, now this is significant. This is important. You got you to get this because this Lamb, it's going to seem like he's over uh, or outmatched because he's fixing to go against a dragon. He's fixing to go against demonic hordes. He's fixing to go against all the followers of the dragon and the locusts and all of the, the forces of evil. And he's going to seem outmatched. But he's a lamb with all power and complete and fullness in his... Somebody say amen. He's not only has, he not only has seven horns... But what else does he have? Seven what? Eyes. Eyes represent omniscience. Or what does omniscience mean? All knowing. All seeing. All knowledge. Now, you ever, anybody ever have a parent that when, before you left the house, the parent reminded you, God's watching you. What, what are they saying by that? God knows what you're going to do. Behave yourself because there's an all-seeing eye watching you. I mean, that like wigged me out when I was a little kid because I'm like up there looking in the sky you know, trying to find this thing. Are y'all with me? But what does that mean? What does that represent? This eye represents his knowledge, his wisdom, his omniscience, his understanding, his awareness. Now, what does is, what is seven represent again? Completeness or fullness. What does this mean? This lamb has all knowledge, has all understanding, is seeing everything there is to see. Are y'all with me? It represents the Holy Spirit who's going into the earth to seek unrepentant sinners to bring judgment upon those who would not receive and accept Christ. So here we find a lion teaches us that he has, as his qualifications go, if you will, if we study his family tree, we need to make sure he's of the right family, he's of the right tribe, and so far, he's passed with flying colors. Somebody say amen. amen. He's of the right tribe, he's of the right family, and he's also the lamb, the lamb which taketh away the sins of the world. Then, <clears throat> I want you to see Here the Holy Spirit in verse number, let's see, let me go back, verse 6. 
And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Here the Holy Spirit's fullness is seen in relation to judgment. Now remember, everything that's happening from this point on is judgment. We're living in the age of grace. That's chapters 2 and 3. But right now, judgment and the wrath of the Lamb is coming upon the earth. As he goes out into all the earth searching for the guilty, unrepentant sinners to judge. John 16, 7 and 8 tells us, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Judgment. And all God's people say it. I want you to listen now because you don't have what I'm fixing to give you. <clears throat> so just listen and I'll give it to you. I promise. Don't wig out on me. You will get it. All right? And all God's people say it. Why is he worthy? Remember, he's got to be qualified. <clears throat> he's got to be qualified. So, so, from what we've covered so far, how many of y'all would agree with me that there's no question whatsoever because of who he is, he is qualified and he's entitled to take the worth back? All right, now, secondly, he cannot just be qualified. He has to be, come on everybody, he has to be, how many of y'all think the devil's just going to give back what he stole? How many, how many of y'all have just told the devil, now leave me alone, and he left you alone? Do you think the devil's just going to roll over and play dead because you got saved? Do you think he's going to quit messing with you just because you go to church? He's going to fight tooth and nail. And so Jesus is coming to claim what's rightfully his. But he has to be able to take possession. Even though it's rightfully his, he's got to go get it. Are we together? Look what it says. Verse 5. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now that's his person. The second reason we can say he's worthy is because he hath... Everybody say it. He hath... He hath... He's prevailed. The word prevailed means to subdue. It means to conquer. It means to overcome. He says, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't cry. Because the lamb has prevailed. The lion has prevailed. Now listen, two ways I want you to see. In his life he's prevailed. And in his death he prevailed. Let's look at his life first. In his life he prevailed over the devil. Mark 1, 12 says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. When he lived on this earth, he was tempted in all points as we are. He was tempted with the pride of life. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. All sins are qualified in those three categories. In all three of those, Satan tempted our Lord and our Savior. He came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, turn these rocks in. And by the way, he wasn't questioning his, his, his uh, 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 right or he wasn't questioning who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was God's Son. Basically what he's saying is because of who you are, you don't deserve to be hungry. Take matters into your own hands and turn these stones into bread. But Jesus said it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Somebody say amen. He tempted him two more times. And by the way, he's slick. He tried to quote the word to the word. 
He said, isn't it written that the angels won't let you dash your foot against a stone? He said, yeah, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And three times, three categories of sin, the sins that we struggle with, the sins that we face every single day, I'm glad to know our Lord and our Savior prevailed. He subdued. He overcame. He conquered the devil and temptation. What does that tell me? Because he won, I can win. Because he was an overcomer, I'm an overcomer. Because he got it done, I can get it done. God will not let me tempted above which I am able, but with the temptation he will provide a way of escape. Somebody say amen. Don't ever say I couldn't help it anymore. Don't ever say I couldn't do it anymore because you have a Savior who's prevailed. He's overcome. He overcome the devil. He overcome disease. Listen, Matthew 9 33, or excuse me, actually verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I'm glad to know one day I will not have to face cancer. I will not have to see cancer again. I seen the ugly face of cancer this week, just four years ago, with, my, with her sister we're through the same thing. But I'm glad we have a God who can overcome disease. Every disease that we face, every disease that the curse has brought our way, he has overcome. They'd bring him blind people and he'd heal them. They'd bring him lame people and he'd heal them. Listen, are y'all with me? Y'all wake tonight. He's overcome. In his life, he overcome the devil. In his life, he overcome disease. In his life, he overcome the demons. It says in Mark 1, 32, And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' disease and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Not one single demon in hell can overcome him. He prevailed over the demons. There was a man who was full of demons. He was chained up. And every single thing man tried to do to prevail, every single thing that man tried to do to subdue the demons in this man was an utter failure. But when Jesus came, he fell down at his feet in his right mind, cast the demons out. He run around in the tombs, listen, cutting himself, howling at the, at the darkness and running around naked. Somebody say amen. But when Jesus passed by, the Bible said he was sitting and in his right mind and clothed. Yes. The new dude in the rude mood. Say amen. All these people running around in the summertime half naked, that means they're half crazy. Say amen. Only crazy people take the clothes off. I'm so glad he prevailed in his life. He prevailed over the devil. In his life, he prevailed over disease. In his life, he prevailed over demons. In his life, he prevailed over discouragement. When they were in the boat and afraid, when the storm arose and the ship began to sink, the water began to come in and he was asleep. And they hollered out, don't you care? How many of you have been in place in your life when the storm was raging so bad you didn't think God cared about what you were going through? He said, carest thou not that we perish? And the Bible said he arose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I'm glad to know he overcame, he prevailed, and he subdued discouragement in the life of the disciples. Another time, he was walking on the sea and they saw him and they were afraid and they thought he was a spirit. And he said, listen, be not afraid, it is I. I'm here to tell you, in your life, you're going to face difficulty. In your life, you're going to face fearful things. In your life, you're going to face things that's going to make you think that God doesn't care about you, that God doesn't care about your situation. But let me tell you, honey, He cares. It says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That first word, care, means distractions. It means disturbances. Those things that make you weep and those things that make you cry. But that second word, careth, He careth for you. The death 
definition is it matters to him. It matters to him whether you're upset. It matters to him whether you're frustrated. It matters to him whether you're afraid. It matters to him if you're going through a dark time in a dark valley. He cares for you. He's prevailed. He prevailed in his life. But listen, he prevailed in his death. I know it looked bad. And I know it looked like they won. And I know it looked like Satan had won the battle. But little did he know that through his death, he prevailed. Listen, in his death, he prevailed over sin. Romans 7, 25. It says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What did He do? He overcome sin. You know what that tells me? We don't have to sin. Don't act so surprised. What do you think he means when he said we're more than overcomers? You know, we, 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 we say this so flippantly, and, and I don't feel real good, so I may be a little carnal right now, but we've we got to quit making excuses for our stupidity. Oh, I'm just an old sinner. No, you're not. You're a saint. You've been delivered. You've been forgiven. Should we, should we constantly live in sin? Is grace for the purpose of sin? He said, God forbid. He's overcome sin. Sin has no power in your life. If we sin, we did it. Amen, preacher. Preach on. In his death, he overcomes sin. He prevailed. He prevailed over sin, but in his death, I know this sounds crazy, but in his death, he overcomes death. It says in Hebrews 2, 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Because of that, we can say this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He's overcome death. He overcome all the forces of hell in his death. He prevailed. Colossians 2.14. It says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It's all talking about Calvary. And all God's people say it. Number three. One more. Look at verse number nine. <clears throat> verse number nine. When you get there, say amen. And they sung a new song. Let me back up, back up, back up, back up. He's worthy because of his person. Just who he is. He's qualified for who he is. Number two, he's not only worthy because of his person, he's worthy because of his prevailing. In other words, he's worthy because who he is but he's worthy because what he did. Are y'all with me? He has prevailed to open the book. So not only is he qualified, he is. Let me say that again. Because I'm acting way more excited about this than y'all are. Not only is he. But he is. Now, now, why is that important for you to know? If he wasn't, we'd all go to hell. 
Okay. Number nine, or excuse me, number nine. Verse nine. I told you, I don't feel good. And they sung a new song. What's the old song? In order to understand the significance of the new song, you've got to know the old song. What's the old song? Verse 11, chapter 4. Go back to chapter 4. Look at the last verse in chapter 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast, for thou hast all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So guess what? If he didn't do a blessed thing, he'd be worthy. Whether we're saved or not, he's still worthy. Whether we're going to heaven or not, he's still worthy. But let's sing the new song. Go back to verse 9. The old song is he's worthy because he's the creator. Or to be more specific, he's worthy because he made me. Why should I praise him? Why should I worship him? Why should I sing unto him? Why should I sacrifice my time? Why should I not be conformed to this world but be transformed? Why should I present to him and be a living sacrifice and commit my life to him because he made me? He's the potter. I'm the clay. Are y'all with me? But there's more to it. We can go ahead and sing that new song. How many of y'all are glad for the new song? The new song is thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast, thou wast, and hast redeemed us to God. What does that mean? What does that mean? You've redeemed us to God by thy blood. Listen, number three, he's worthy because of his person. He's worthy because of his prevailing. But he's worthy because of his propitiation. His propitiation. Now, I know we're going to have to do a word study. Some of y'all are going to have a hard time spelling that one. You may have never even heard of this. But it's the one of the most important words in all of the Bible. Here's, here's the definition. Well, before I give you the definition, I'm going to read you the verses. Romans 3.24, Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. So we see the word redemption, propitiation, and blood. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance, remission means take away. Are y'all with me? Take away. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now let's put all this together. Blood, propitiation, remission, redemption. Here's the defined word, propitiation. It's the act of appeasing wrath and conciliating the favor of an offended person. In theology, it's the atonement or the atoning sacrifice offered to God to appease His wrath and render Him propitious to sinners. And the word propitious means render ready to forgive sins and bestow blessings. What does that mean? The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross satisfied the demands of God's holiness for the punishment of sin. 
So Jesus propitiated or satisfied God. What does that mean? That means this. When Adam sinned in the garden, sin passed upon all men for that all have sinned and sin will be paid for. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You need to understand something. We have a holy God in heaven. And because of his holiness, he has four beasts around the throne crying day and night, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And as a holy creator, as a holy God, we have a sinful, rebellious creation that rebelled against the command of God and disobeyed the Lord, and now he's a sinner. And sin must be paid for. God will not sweep sin under the rug. You may hide it today. You may hide it tomorrow. But I promise you, be sure your sin will find you out. God will not overlook sin. He will not ignore sin. Sin must be paid for. But instead, hallelujah, instead a man having to pay for his sin... God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave them sacrifices. When Adam sinned in the garden, an innocent, an innocent, I believe, a lamb had to die so they could be covered. And from that point on, God instituted the sacrifices and they brought sacrifice to appease. Now get this, to appease the anger of a holy God on sin. But it was only temporary. And it only lasted for a short period of time. And every single year after they had the tabernacle and after they had the temple, the the high priest had to go in to the Holy of Holies and present blood on the mercy seat to appease the anger temporarily of God upon the sin of the people. And every single year, that throne cried out for blood. That throne cried out for sin to be covered, for sin to be appeased. And the holiness of God required the blood to be shed. And then one day, listen, the Lamb of God was hung on a hill called Calvary and He shed His blood, His life's blood for every single human sin. And he took his blood to the mercy seat in heaven. And God said, satisfied, satisfied. Nobody else has to die. No more sacrifice needed because Jesus is a propitiation and he's appeased the anger of God with our sin. Yes, he died so you didn't have to. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy because thou was slain. It took his blood to take our sins away. Our sins have been remitted. The remission of our sin. Here's the the point. I got a minute and four seconds. In the Old Testament, so it's the same in the New Testament, the Old Testament. Oh no. In the Old Testament, our sins were covered. But every year, another lamb had to die. Because they were only covered. But when Jesus came, they were removed. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed my sin from me. And then we have the word justified. What does justified mean? I love simple terminology. Just if I had never done it. (laughs) He's worthy. Don't cry, John. Don't weep. God's going to finish what he started. There's somebody qualified. And there's somebody able. And he's going to take back 
what the devil stole. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Don't forget, we got a question box. I tried to go slow. I'm not telling you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't. What, what, what number? All right. Let's see here. And back up, back up, back up. The uncontrolled sadness. Verse 1 was the unsealed scroll. Verse 2 and 3 is the unsuccessful search. Can y'all see now why there's no man qualified but Jesus? And the uncontrolled sadness. Why was it? Why was he weeping? Because the process couldn't be finished without a qualified redeemer. All right. That get it? All right. Church say amen. <clears throat> Tired. I mean, I've had a long week. Well, let's pray for strength. And, uh, and I, th- I thank you for your prayers from the last few weeks. Uh, uh, they were definitely felt. And uh, so, so I want you all to pray for my father. He's going to be flying down and, and conducting a funeral. And so I'm glad, I'm glad for a, a hope. Amen. And we don't have to fret. We don't have to weep like John. Because he's prevailed. He's prevailed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank